0: Um, kids, you're in the service with us today. We're glad that you're here. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? How many of you have seen the old one? How many of you have seen the new one? Okay, so there's quite a few of us. So you'll probably know this. This is an easy one. When there's that girl... Uh, who's with her dad in the movie? And she takes that piece of gum. She rips it out of Willy Wonka's hands, and she starts chewing it. And it's like a full course meal in her mouth. You remember that? And she gets to the end, and what does she start to taste? Blueberry pie. Blueberry pie. And what? And what starts to happen to her? What? She starts. Yeah. She starts like just like inflate right to this giant blueberry sort of. She goes all purple and and, um, and the oompa loompas I think it is. They have to roll her out to to get juiced. It's a great scene. So my title this morning, kids, this is for you, is puffed up or building up. Are you puffed up? Or are you building up? And we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 8. And we're in this series. Anyone remember, what is this series called? Five words. Gospel amidst cultural confusion. Yes. Gold star, guys. Good. Because we just got back into it last week. So we're, this series is, we're seeing how the gospel... The good news of Jesus, the invitation to salvation, the invitation to transformation in our lives, it is a real thing. It's not just some hypothetical, mythological thing. This is a real thing that happens to us as we are growing in Jesus. It calls us to live differently in a culture that, please hear me, is wallowing in confusion. We are, we are absolutely immersed in confusion in our culture. And you could, I could pick out right now, just go on the news and pick out 10 different examples of where people are just so, so confused. So, let's get into 1 Corinthians 8. I'm going to read it. Uh, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Now, concerning food offered to idols... For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning. Father, thank you that your word is true, that it is relevant for our lives today, that it alerts us to your truth, it alerts us to what your heart is for your people. And I want to pray, Lord, that as we get into a text this morning that can kind of seem like, how does this apply to us? Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to see the wonder of how Jesus transforms how we live. And I pray this all, Jesus, in your amazing and incredible name. Amen. So we're going to talk about food offered to idols. And if kids you're hearing this and you're going, "What are you talking about?" And maybe as adults you're going, Why are we going to talk about a chapter that is talking about food being offered to idols? How does that have any relevance to us in the 21st century in a culture that lives completely different than a 1st century Roman culture? We're going to get into that. But beginning in chapter 7 here in in Corinthians, Paul begins to, uh, he's writing to the Corinthians in response to a letter that they wrote to him. And he's starting to get into stuff that they had talked about in their letter. So that's why he's saying, now concerning food offered to idols. And he had talked about marriage in the, the previous chapter that we were in last week. And so the Corinthians had brought this up. And chapters 8 to 10 here in Corinthians, it actually, there's, there's quite a focus on food here in, in these chapters. And this connection to idol worship in a culture, but, but please hear me, it's not really about food. It is about food, but it's not about food. It's about how they, or we, now live out our lives following Jesus, following the way of Jesus, amidst a culture that is living so differently than the gospel calls us to. And that, if the gospel now today calls us to live just as differently as it did back then. So but maybe the background of what's going on here, maybe this will help us to kind of understand it a little bit. So again, this is Paul's writing in response to the letter he had received from them, and this practice of meat that had been offered to idols was widespread in the culture. And what they did is they brought this meat into the various temples, and they would split it into three portions. And you would have one portion that would be offered to the god or the deity that they were there. And so they'd offer that portion to satisfy the god. And then you would take another um, part would be given to the person to take home and eat. And then a third portion would be given to the priest, actually, who's doing the offering to give him as sort of a payment. And if he didn't want it, because he's get, remember, these priests are getting sacrifices all the time. So they would then, if they didn't want it, they'd give it to the market to sell. And so most of the meat if not almost all of it in the market was meat that had been offered to idols and that was being sold. And this this practice happened at almost all the social occasions. So dinner parties, work functions, it was just pervasive in the culture. It was it was the norm. They they just did it. They offered up meat to the idols. And to to make it even kind of more difficult for the Christians. Meat served and sold at the temple was the cheapest. So now there's a financial thing to go. It's better for us to go and buy this meat because it's cheaper. And who doesn't like a deal? I mean, we live in southern Manitoba, right? We love deals. Cheaper meat like I'm in. So this is what is going on for the Christians. Now, Paul, he gets into this a little bit more, and, and we'll touch on it more, a little bit different aspect in 1 Corinthians 10. But he, he says there, look, guys, this, this is, it's not that it's harmless. This isn't harmless. He says there in 1 Corinthians 10, sacrifices are ultimately, these sacrifices are ultimately to demons. And if you get involved in them, your involvement is with demons. So he doesn't cut corners on it, but it's all over culture. And it's widely accepted. Like, no big deal. What's the big deal? We're just offering a little bit of meat to the, to the idols. Just get on board. Now, those, though, who had come to follow Jesus, think about this, in the midst of this culture, there's now questions. Okay, well, we serve one God, one Lord. We don't offer to idols. So how are we going to handle this? And... Paul, again, like I said, he deals with this more in 1 Corinthians 10, a little bit of a different aspect. But here, he's specifically talking about it. The the issue is people in the church are at different places in their spiritual maturity, and the question is, how do you protect one another in the church? How do you honor, how do you love one another in the church? That's really what the issue is here. And so we might read this and think, well, yeah, but Paul, this has no relevance to my life. Like, you're talking about meat offered to idols. Please, you're, you're still not connecting it for me. I think it actually really does relate to us in a lot of ways when we get past the cultural expression that we're seeing here. So I was, I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, okay, what, what might be a modern-day equivalent for us, right here, right now, in our world? Think about Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries Corporation for a second. If you'll if you'll indulge me they they are all over culture they are pervasive everywhere that's culturally acceptable Manitoba liquor and lotteries they they sponsor oodles of events they sponsor sporting events they sponsor the arts they pour money into all sorts of different things present a wide variety of gambling opportunities for people it's all over It's it's motivated, people are motivated to get into it by a love of money and pleasure. They don't like to talk about this, but it enables and it fosters addiction in the lives of people, but we don't really, that's not the nice part of it, we don't like to talk about that. Now, think about this. When it comes to alcohol and gambling, there's all sorts of differing perspectives amongst followers of Jesus. In this room, there will be a host of different beliefs and perspectives on how we look at Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries Corporation. I guarantee you, we've got different perspectives. How about when it comes to entertainment, media, in our, in our culture right now? Opinions in the church here, they're all over the map. Like, you go, they, they let their kids watch What? Did you hear what they they let their kids watch that? Or did you hear what so-and-so, what they allow their kids to do? Does that happen in the church? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. This is real. What was happening in Corinth was that you had individuals who treated the whole food and idol thing very, very differently. There, there were those who claimed this knowledge about the issue. Six times here in these verses, Paul speaks of this knowledge that they have, that they're operating out of. And so, it, again, this is where maybe context helps us. In Roman culture, there was a bunch of these cults and sort of secret societies, if you will, that were operating in the temples, and a lot of them would claim secret knowledge. That if you come to us, you will gain secret knowledge. And so it's pervasive in the culture. And so there is a big focus on knowledge, on what you knew or what you didn't know and sort of the secrets that you had gotten to understand. And so that, that focus of religion was known as Gnosticism, Gnostics. And so the whole focus of Gnosticism was, what can I know? And what's in it for me? Our culture today, we worship. We worship the pursuit of logic and reason. We love logic. We love reason. We love to the accumulation of knowledge. We assess our lives all the time with what's in it for me? What what do you have in this for me. That's, that is the constant way that people are looking and assessing things. And the methods may be different, but the motivation is still the same. So Paul says there's, there's those in the church there in Corinth who had come to understand you didn't need to be superstitious about eating food offered to idols. You didn't need to get into all of that superstition. Paul says it, he says, he quotes them where they they say an idol has no real existence and there is no God but one. And and Paul, he agrees with them. He's like, you're right, there there is no God but one. But, and again, Paul, he mentions, he gets into a couple different issues with this in 1 Corinthians 10. So it's not like he's not, he's not just pushing all this under the carpet and saying it's not a big deal. He gets into it in in 1 Corinthians 10 that no, there, there is a big deal if you think you can engage in this. But you have to think about the church in Corinth too. These individuals had come to follow Christ. They're immersed in a culture that is so pervasive in idol worship and they want to reach the culture. And they're trying to figure out how do we live in a culture that's so pervasive where this is everywhere. This food offered to idols is just, everyone's accepting of it. How do we live for Jesus and how do we not shut ourselves up from the world? That's that's something that they, they were wrestling with. If you think about it, like if they're thinking, if we pull back from these dinners and these parties and all these work functions and all these things in the culture, well, how are we going to reach people? And we'll be a laughing stock. So the are real issues. Now, so there's that group, and then there's this other group that were affected and, and they didn't like this approach. They. Individuals who thought, no, no, you you can't eat any of this food that's been offered to idols. You, You just, you can't do that. And you also have to realize there were those in the church who would have been very actively affected by this idol worship in their past life. They would have been immersed in this. They would have been engaging in all sorts of practices that they had, again, they had come out of. And now they're going, no, no, guys, you can't go back into this. We, we just, we can't do this. This is wrong. So you can see now the the tussle and the pull happening in the church that Paul's addressing. And I'm, I'm guessing based on what we know in Corinth, based on the totality of the letter, these were heated discussions, if you will, in the church. Right? Remember, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. There was divisions and factions in this body. And so Paul's, He's again working with, you have this view, you have this view. Okay, let's sort this out. And really what Paul's getting at, and this is where it's so relevant for us, how does our behavior, how does our actions affect and influence one another? How do what you do, how does that affect others around you? When you have differing perspectives, when you have different opinions, beliefs, in the church, and there's, there's all sorts of those, how we live and our behavior towards one another, how do we work that out? And so, and Paul, he actually, he reframes the issue here in verse 6 for them. He says, yes, there is no God but one. We know these idols are nothing, but he says, there is one God from whom all, are all things and from whom we exist, He's saying we have God the Father. He's the source of all things. There's the Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we, we exist. So he's reframing, saying, guys, this is the issue. One God, one Lord. He's through all things. We live for him. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, he goes into and he says, he talks about doing all things for the glory of God. Everything. Everything we do. He says, whether we eat, drink, everything we do is for the glory of God. God's glory is to be our goal. So, here's what I want to do here in the next little bit. In an effort to work out how we deal with differing views in the body, there there is differing views amongst us, and how they affect others. I want to I talk about three practical implications from these verses for us. And then I, I want to conclude by connecting it back to the first few verses here that we read um, at the beginning of the chapter. So first, first practical implication, live mindful of your behavior. There was someone who told me the other day about a, a thread on social media on a, a local page here, where someone had gotten on and taken, uh, had basically went on a public page to scold what someone else had done at the gas station. Someone had, it's not even important what they did. This person had done something at the gas station that this person thought was just wrong, so they went and they put it on social media and started scolding this person, and it turns into this whole thread, And and I'm hearing all this, and I'm like, you know, like, what is happening? I thought, well, this used to happen all the time. It's like, now we have this, this social media where we can just go on and we can just blast it everywhere. Right? You might, that person might have gone to one or two other people before 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and just talked about what happened. But now, now, let's just blast it over and let's publicly shame that person for what I think they did wrong. And you go, how are we being mindful of our behavior? To one another. When it, when it came to the differing views on food being offered to idols here, Paul says, look guys, food isn't the issue. Food really isn't the issue. He says, whether you eat or don't eat, ultimately, that's not what's important. But the example that you set to one another matters. And Paul keeps coming back to this, this issue of rights with the Corinthians. And throughout the letter, he's coming back to this issue of rights for them. This this cultural norm that they were, he quotes them numerous times in the letter where they talk about how all things are lawful for me, or all things are permissible for me. So I can, can, the Corinthians are saying, look, we can do whatever we want. We have freedom in Christ. But Paul says, yeah, but not all things are helpful. And not all things are, and I'm not going to let anything have control over me, he says. I'm not going to be dominated by anything. Nothing is going to control me because that is not, that I'm not coming under the lordship of Jesus. And so Paul says here to them in verse nine, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So within our convictions, within our Opinions and assertions. How many of you say, I have opinions, I have assertions, and I have convictions that I hold very strongly to? I I think all of us do, right? On some level, all of us are there. Are we aware how those affect others? How, How tied are we in regard to our rights above everything else? You have the right to that conviction. You have the right to that opinion. You have the right to hold strongly to that. How important is that to you? How, how emotionally invested are you to your rights? How emotionally invested am I to the opinions that I hold are the right ones, and I don't care about anyone else? Those are, those are questions that we've got to wrestle with. In Ephesians 4, Paul, he speaks of us as a body, right? How many of you remember those verses in Ephesians 4? Talks about muscles and ligaments and joints. He says we're all connected. And, but he doesn't just say that. He doesn't just say, he doesn't leave it at we're connected and we're a body. He actually then goes into, as, as we have this picture of a physical body, he says we are joined and held together. And it's, it's, he says we're still growing. So picture this. If you picture us LCF is a church body. Guess what we are? We're like a 13-year-old teenager. We're we're still growing. So consider us that. We're a 13-year-old teenager. We're still growing. All those parts held together, joined together. And what Paul says is what's super important is what? It's not just super important that they're joined together. What's super, super, super important in the body? Yeah, but he talks in, in, in the body itself, the, physical, the picture of the physical body, what's super important, when each part is working properly, he says. When each part is working properly. So again, we know this, right? If you have even one part of your body that isn't functioning properly, there's, there's a bunch of effects on the rest of your body. And he says that... When the body is working properly, it makes itself, it's making itself grow up in love. So, how do we love one another well in light of our different opinions, our different convictions, our different assertions? The first step is really to live mindful of your behavior. How am I impacting others? Because, now, having said that, so we can say, how am I impacting others? Here's, here's the flip side to this. The temptation is to come and to hide, to put on the mask. You come into Sunday. As you're walking the door, whoop, put that mask on, come in. Now no one's going to really see what's going on in me. I'm going to look pretty good. I'm going to look like everything's functional, everything's healthy. That's not... That's not being mindful of your behavior. That's just actually hiding. Right? This is is about growing. We're we're growing together. We're being real. We're being transparent. We're being honest and vulnerable. All right. So that's the first step. We're going to get back to the second step yet. But second is that we need to realize the implication is our behavior influences others. So... Every parent that has toddlers and older children knows this is a fact. Our behavior as parents influences children. Right? That is just a matter of fact. Either positively or negatively, your behavior influences your children. And the same applies to all sorts of other people around us. A number number of years back... Jess and I, we took a a customer of mine at the time out for a a nice Christmas dinner at High's Steakhouse in Winnipeg. And if if I'm being honest, I would have liked to have gone there and enjoyed a really nice beer with my steak, and Jess would have liked to have enjoyed a nice glass of wine with her steak. But I had gotten to know this customer. We were both followers of Jesus, but I knew that he had different a different approach and a different belief on alcohol than I did. And so I had to, in that, leading up to that dinner, I had to make the decision, what am I going to do? And so I enjoyed a nice glass of water with my steak. Now, you kind of go, well, what's the big deal? Like, could I have had a beer with my meal? Biblically, I don't believe that it's wrong. But... I also knew I had to make a decision in that moment whether or not I was going to be a blessing to that couple. And I had to make that choice. Because I think if I had just done what I wanted to do, it actually would have been detrimental to our relationship. And I didn't want to do that. So in light of these verses here, when it comes to being mindful of our behavior realizing our influence on others, there's questions for us to consider that I think Paul is putting before the Corinthians here. Are people brought closer to God by my behavior? Are others strengthened in their faith? I uh, I recently read a pastor who he was recounting a dinner that he had been invited to. And hosting this dinner was a very influential evangelical leader. He doesn't say who it was, but he said this guy was, was well-known, big deal, hosted a big dinner. And after the dinner, as they're, they're in the restaurant, this leader realizes that the waitress has grouped the bills together wrong. And so this leader goes and just lights into this waitress in front of everyone and just like, one, up one side and down the other of how she could have done this. And this pastor who was there, he, he said, I was utterly shocked to be watching this. And like, this guy had no understanding of how his behavior was being seen by others. Now, we, we hear that and you go, and, we, and, and if you're like me, the first thought you goes, is, I want to know who that leader is. That's probably your first thought as I was telling the story. Oh yeah, Paul, who was that? I don't know. That's what I thought. And then you go, but am I mindful of my behavior in a whole bunch of circumstances and how I behave? Or do I think that only applies to others? So what else do these verses tell us? We have a responsibility to support one another. There's, there's another scenario in these verses that r- is really important for us to consider. When our behavior causes someone else to stumble. What, what was happening in Corinth was Christians who had settled this issue of meat offered to idols. It, it didn't bug them. They were able to, to walk with it. It D- didn't matter. They understood food wasn't the issue. Idols had no hold over them. But some looked at them at their freedom that they were walking in. And because, Paul says, these other people, they weren't at the same place. They were at a different stage of maturity. We don't know all the circumstances. But they see these other people doing this and they go, Oh, what's the big deal? And Paul says, and their their conscience is defiled. And they actually are led to stumble in their faith. So for years... I I wrestled with my position for years. I kind of went back and forth on how I felt about alcohol when I was younger. And I wrestled with it a lot. And because I wanted to be God-honoring and I wanted to have a conviction about it. And I, I went back and forth until I felt like I came into a place of maturity with how to handle it. And Scripture tells us whether it's that issue or another issue It's essential that we come to that place in our lives. End of Romans 14, Paul, he's dealing with the same issue. He's talking about food and causing others not to stumble in that letter. And he says, our conviction, whatever our conviction is, has to come from faith. If we're not sure in our hearts about what we're doing, Paul says, then actually you are in sin if you're just doing it to go along and you're just doing it because it's the easy way and you're not really, God hasn't spoken to you, saying, then you're operating in sin. And here it, with the Corinthians, we see that, that our behavior and how it impacts others around us, it's actually a gospel issue. What Paul's saying is our rights are not as important as how we love others around us And it actually has to have a direct impact on our behavior. How we treat one another. And that's more important. And so Paul's saying, he says, look, I I realize that, that some of you with knowledge, you believe you've figured out the Christian life. You've determined what you can and can't do. But he's saying, but what you're doing is to the detriment of others. So you think you've got it all nailed down. But look at what you're causing in your brother and in your sister next to you. Now, I don't know about you, but that can come across to me, like that cuts across my will like a searing knife because we're told if it feels right to you, do it. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. That is your conviction, do it. it. If it, that other person, they can deal with how they feel about it, that's... That's kind of how we're, we're taught. And in the church, if we add, I feel like the Lord is saying this to me, or I feel led this way, it's like we lay down the trump card. You can't tell me anything. The Lord told me this. It's, again, it's not that we might not have some ideas that we feel strongly about. We will have ideas that we feel strongly about. Romans 15:1. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, here's where it gets really complicated in the church. We will have different standards in our lives. And I'm not, I'm not talking about undermining biblical truth, but the application of biblical truth in our lives, we will arrive and land on differing opinions on how that works itself out in our lives. So we will have knowledge that we hold to, what we think we know, convictions of what we feel is appropriate, what is not appropriate, convictions of on parenting views, on how we spend money, how we live for the kingdom of God, and there's just this endless stream of what we have convictions about and we might be inclined to respond in those things to what's the big deal what others think isn't my problem but paul says in verse 12 he says it is your problem if we pay no regard to our brothers and sisters in the body and he says in verse 11 there he says those brothers and sisters that you're causing to stumble, he's, he makes the point very intentionally. He says, Christ died for them. The, the, he's, he's basically putting before the church saying, guys, this isn't a small matter. This isn't like a you can kind of, well, that's your opinion. He's saying, Christ died for them. What's at stake is how they're walking with Christ. How, view, how they see how you're behaving. And then he, Paul, he, he he says there, if you pay no regard to that, he says, you actually sin against Christ. So this is where the, the issue of my will, my ideas, my rights, it kind of come head to head with doing all things for the glory of God. And how does that work itself out? So I want to I conclude this morning by circling back to those first three verses, because I think that's the key that Paul has for us here. I want to draw us back to that title this morning, that question of are we puffed up or are we building up? The, the danger of knowledge, what we believe to know about God, what we believe to know about his ways, is that when it actually fosters arrogance or pride or selfishness in our lives. That's that's never God's intent. But that's the danger for us because all of us, we are always constantly assessing how we live. We're, We're in this constant assessment of how should I live, what should I do, what shouldn't I do. And so what's happening is that can lead us to having some very actual arrogant opinions on things. So the gospel tells us that when we come, when we give our lives to Jesus, one of the the implications of that is that we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There is something profound that happens in Christ. Christ. There is a spiritual transformation that begins to change who we are, how we think, how we behave, how we treat others. All of that is part of being a new creation in Christ. So, Michaela, I want to call you up now. I asked Michaela if she would help me with something here this morning. Kids, I want to give you guys a demonstration of this. You ready? Do you want to just you want to get it ready, what we had talked about. Yeah. Okay, you hit, okay. It's going to take you like a few seconds to get it ready, right? Okay, you work on getting it ready. So Michaela's going to work on getting this slime ready, and we're gonna we're gonna show you something. you how does how does slime relate to this? Here's here's the danger though. As we go along and we're being made into this new creation, along the way, as we're pursuing faith thinking that we're growing in our knowledge of God, ultimately, it becomes all about what we know. It can become all about the list of what I know and what I think to the harm of others. Right? That's what Paul's saying here. He says, you guys, you think you know something. He's saying, careful on this knowledge that you have. So, Paul says that this knowledge, what we think we know, which has no regard for our brothers and sisters around us. Are you almost ready, Michaela? Yeah. Okay. You going to make it? Okay, we're waiting. No pressure. Paul says that this knowledge... Puffs us up. And Michaela's going to show us something here that I think is a really cool demonstration of that. See, now this is pretty cool, right? This, this thing is puffed up. Now, the thing about all the knowledge and all the stuff in there and what we think we know and what we're tied to and what we hold to, like that. Didn't I was going to prick it. All you have to do is touch it, right? what happens? All that knowledge, Paul says, that puffs you up, it's gone. But he says there's another way. There's another way, and he says it's love that builds up. Thank you. Appreciate that. He says when we're controlled by love, and the, and the, the love there he's talking about is the agape love in the Greek. Growing in true knowledge of who God is and how it calls us. It calls us to ask things like, what can I give? How can I help to build up others? How does my behavior affect others? Following this way of Jesus, thinking of others' needs more than my own. That Paul says, is what builds up the body. He says, knowledge, what you think you know, and all these things you're tied to and you're holding to, he says, it's just puffing you up. It's not building you up. When we're controlled by love, we desire to grow in love for God and to be known by Him, he says there in verse 3. So what Paul's saying is true knowledge doesn't lead us to pride in what we know, what we think we know, but to humility in what we don't know. Because we're pursuing, we just want to know the Father. It's not about the list of what I know and what I'm I'm holding to so much as I really just want to know the Father. So I want to I end this morning with a couple questions for us to consider. Roger, you can come up. And uh, I want to give us a few minutes as Roger plays to, to put these questions before the Lord. First is, where does God want to encourage you in how you love others in the body? Because I believe that God wants to encourage us too. Where does God want to encourage you in how you are loving others in the body and then where is God saying where can you grow in your love because God is a God that is he is extravagantly generous and he's calling us to be extravagantly generous so where can we grow in our love second question maybe isn't as as easy where in my life do I not really care about what others think or how I affect others where are those areas where I I really don't care about what others